It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins is brought to you by James H. Brown and Associates, Alberta injury lawyers, the heavy hitters of injury law. All right, here's what's going on in the NHL tonight. As I mentioned, Sidney Crosby, 500th career goal, but his Penguins trail the Flyers 3-2 with six minutes left in the second period. Also in the second, Blues up 3-2 on the Senators. Islanders and Sabres tied 2-2. Devils leading the Lightning 3-2. After two, Boston, a 1-0 lead on the Rangers. Coyle, the only goal in that game, his 11th of the season. And five minutes left in the first, Washington leading Nashville. One zip, of course, later here on 6.30, Ched. 8.30 puck drop, Oilers at Los Angeles. And starting in half an hour, Toffoli debuts for the Flames. They're hosting the Blue Jackets. And uh, also in half an hour, it is the Stars and the Avalanche. Great to have Mark Cordy on the show, offensive lineman for your Edmonton Elks. And uh, in about uh, 12 to 15 minutes, Jennifer Bottero will check in to preview Canada-USA tomorrow night. Another big showdown for gold in women's hockey at the Olympics. And checking in now from parts unknown, my good friend Jack Michaels. Jack, how are you doing? Well, Reid, I'm near one of your favorite spots, I would imagine. I'm looking over Rogers Center, known as the Sky Dome. And I'm envisioning baseball season, even though we've got a late-night tilt tonight on Sportsnet with the Oilers taking on L.A. and looking to give Jay Woodcroft the first-ever 3-0 and start by an Oiler head coach. Uh, I've been to two games at Rogers Center. Oh, uh, I don't know, a few years ago now. Uh, the roof was closed a very uh cavernous i know it's a bit of a cliched word but a very cavernous building to watch a baseball game in with the roof closed yeah and and obviously read uh you know not uh not necessarily you know home the, the same home the same buzz uh, around it when it was first opened in the late 1980s but uh i know you being more of an expos fan nevertheless a huge baseball fan sounding great no matter where you are and i, I just to, to wrap up our thoughts here on uh, skydome because you and i are, are of the uh s- similar age and have a lot of sort of shared uh memories of 
of uh, milestones or firsts in our in our lives. I mean, I think we're we're a little too young to remember the Astrodome opening or anything like that. But yeah, Sky Dome opened in '89, state of the art, retractable roof. It was you know home to the Argos, home to the Blue Jays. Blue Jays were obviously remember a really Jose, good team. Uh, remember Jose hitting it into the fifth the, deck. The, the, the fifth the deck. Playoffs? The uh, yeah, the '89 Grey Cup between. Um, uh, Hamilton and Saskatchewan was an absolute classic. The, the Blue Jays were obviously uh, at the peak of their powers late 80s into the early 90s, and they had that state-of-the-art facility. And then Camden Yards opened in 1992, and it was like, oh, yeah, no one wants to build anything like Skydome anymore. It was it was all the, the retro parks like Camden. Well, the, yeah, and the one actually after that, I mean, Skydome still still had a little jam to it because at least it was a dome and it had the hotel inside it. But the one you had to feel really sorry for was New Comiskey Park, which opened in 91. And that was, that, you talk about bad timing. Uh, if the White Sox had held on two or three more years, they, they might have been able to uh, build a park that at least rivaled uh, what they have on the north side. But uh, New Comiskey Park uh, never really cut it. Yeah. All right. Uh, so for, let's just put a, a wrapper on last night's game. Stuart Skinner, 20 saves, first career shutout. And uh, I think best work early in the first and then a bit of a burst early, uh, you know, in the third period. But the Oilers were already up 3 nothing when San Jose got uh, got some chances in the third. But, uh, I mean, Skinner, first six shots of the game. And, again, the Oilers did not start well, and he really stood tall in those early moments. And that really turned out to be the only burst San Jose had. I mean, they had one rush chance the entire game. The Oilers did a nice job. They didn't in, allow an odd man rush the entire game. I mean, uh, San Jose just couldn't attack with any sort of speed, couldn't take advantage of fresh legs, and instead the rustiness showed up. As you know, Reed. I mean, for a significant stretch there through the second and third periods, I mean, San Jose was having trouble completing a pass that advanced them as far as the Oilers' blue line. Just a, a number of pucks that, you know, were turned over and, and turned over by the Oilers. I mean, that, that, you know, you have to give them credit as well. It, it wasn't just pure rust on the part of the San Jose Sharks. And, you know, when I think about Edmonton's performances this year, their best games in terms of, especially from a coaching perspective, not just entertainment value, you'd have to put San Jose uh, along alongside the road wins in Seattle and that come-from-behind win in overtime against uh, Vancouver on the road. I mean, you know, they, they had to come from behind, and, and they pulled it out in OT, McDavid scoring the winner. But actually, you know, that was a very strong game where the Canucks really didn't have much of a chance, at, you know, after, this, after the second period. So, you know, really solid work. As usual, the Oilers find a way to get it done on the road. And they're now in a position to really take advantage of an advantageous schedule and leapfrog all three teams. I mean, at one point, the Oilers were behind all these teams. They've already taken care of San Jose. They can move into a tie with L.A. and Anaheim tonight. And then not only are they getting the Kings coming off a 13-day layoff, so two teams in a row coming off historic layoffs, then they get Anaheim on the second of a back-to-back on Thursday night because the Ducks are in Calgary the night before and have to contend with a red-hot flame. So, really, by Thursday night, you know, you're looking at, at potentially an Oiler club that all of a sudden, you know, has Calgary uh, in its sights as opposed to just trying to climb back into the top eight. 
Yeah, and we'll see how the lineup works tonight. Uh, obviously, no morning skate, uh, so we don't know for sure if the Oilers are going to go with 11 and 7 again. We do know Mike Smith is going to be in net. I mean, I, mean, I would think the Oilers' top nine is going to remain intact. Warren Fogle gets a goal. Derek Ryan, very involved. He was plus three. You know, it's interesting, Jack. Somebody uh, uh, who played with uh, Derek Ryan at the U of A uh, several years ago, he said, just, just watch if Derek starts getting a little, some regular shifts. You know, he still has hands to make some more plays, and he thinks that Ryan being more in the flow of the game is going to help him at both ends of the rink. Well, I think, you know, part of that is is being moved to the right side and not having to be so defensively responsible all the time, uh, you know, especially with, you know, maybe, uh, again, some, some bottom 12 wingers alongside. Now, instead, he's working with Ryan Nugent-Hopkins, so... Nugent Hopkins was always going to be the defensive conscience of any line he's on. And, you know, Warren Fogle gives him a little size to contend with. So all of a sudden, not only does Ryan have a little room out there, he's freed up of some of the secondary responsibilities of having to play with center. And as a result, I'd agree with you. I thought that was his most noticeable game. Off the top of my head, I can't tell you whether it was his most productive. Uh, you know, it ends up not being a tip-in for Ryan. It went off the stick of Malosh after several looks. Boy, that took forever to kind of sort that out. But but the bottom line is, is he was kind of a, a net front presence in the way of, of Yessa Pugliarvi the other night on Cody Cece's goal uh, against the Islanders. So, you know, I agree with you. I, I think they're probably going to go back to 11 and 7 because why would you change a w winning formula? Uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, I know Tyler Benson has had success uh, with Jay Woodcroft before. I don't know necessarily that that's still not a spot that might be changed out uh, in, in in exchange for perhaps some offensive jam in Brendan Perlini or perhaps, you know, more likely even uh, another penalty killer if you brought Devin Shore in there. But the way the minutes are being allocated on defense and what he's gotten out of Evan Bouchard in far less minutes uh, leads me to believe that at least for the time being, he's going to go 11 and seven, notwithstanding his early comment that he believes long-term 11 and seven, probably not sustainable. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I think did they, didn't they have to dress nine once nine defensemen at Bakersfield? Cause they were well, so short I mean, on forward. So necessity sometimes thing. he's a resourceful yeah. guy, Reed, I, Jay Woodcroft. I, I met him 20 years ago when he was kind of playing out the string as a, as a minor league player up in Anchorage. And, and I will tell you this, he's, he's resourceful. He's extremely detail oriented and he's a bit of a problem solver. So if you give him a lineup that says nine and nine, he's, going to try to figure out a way to beat you so uh 11 and 7 is nothing for him when you, when as you rightfully point out he's already won a game this year going nine and nine right on jack i'll let you get ready for work here buddy thanks so much for hopping on the show uh, i guess i'll see you uh thursday before you head back east man really appreciate it only if you're lucky reed yeah <laughs> There we go. That is uh, Jack Michaels. He's got the call on Sportsnet tonight. Cam Moon's going to have the play-by-play -play here on 630. Chad Bob Stoffer, of course, will have the uh, color commentary. And he Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. He's going to join me to kick off the face-off show at 7.05. Olympic hockey, Canada, USA for women's gold. We got the preview next with Jennifer Botterill. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins is brought to you by James H. Brown and Associates, Alberta's precedent-setting injury lawyers. So tomorrow night at just after 9 o'clock, 9 p.m. Mountain Time, it is gold medal matchup, Canada and the United States in women's hockey. A three-time Olympic gold medalist joins us on the line now, Jennifer Botterill checking in. Jennifer, you're on with Reed. How are you doing? Hi, I'm doing really well. Thanks. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for checking in. I know you're you're really busy. Uh, see you on TV a lot. Don't often hear you, Jennifer, because I'm on the radio during the intermissions, so I got to mute the TV while you're on. But uh, enjoy your work. Enjoy your work for sure. And uh, you got to put up with Kelly Rudy, who's a regular on my show. So I applaud you there. Oh, isn't he great? He's the best. He He's a pleasure to work with. Yes. Yeah. Well, thanks for jumping on tonight. Um, Canada, USA, you, you know all about this, um, you know, three golds and a silver and four Olympic finals against the United States. Um, what, what was it like in those Olympic games? And, and I know the one year they didn't make the final, but there was sort of that, um, you know, it, it always felt like it was destined to be a matchup. What was it like playing in those tournaments, playing some of the other teams, but knowing the U.S. was always looming? Olympic experiences, I mean, each one of them is, is very special. And, and as we look forward to tomorrow um, and these players, there is, there's so much anticipation uh, and you know how hard you work for these moments. So I think as an athlete, I mean, every game that you play um, at every Olympics, it's, it's a big deal. And, and you can see how these players have reacted here in Beijing um, with every performance to, to go through it with the confidence. And, and the big thing is, is to trust yourself. And I think that was one of the biggest things that allowed our teams back in my era of playing that helped us to perform really well. And you knew that you had put in, you know, so much work um, and so much effort to get to that point that it was a point of, of remaining focused because there's also nothing quite like the Olympics in terms of all of the excitement and all of the energy in terms of the global attention. So it's also important as an athlete to stay focused, to use all of that energy to to push you along, not let it be a distraction to to your performance and how you want to play. So I would say, yes, so much excitement leading up to the gold medal game day, um, but also for these athletes to think about, okay, having that trust and that uh, confidence that, you know, they've prepared for this and that they know that they can play really well. When you look back on all those games against the United States, Olympics, World Championships, you guys would play you know, in other tournaments or, or have series where you would play each other to, you know, just to have high-level high, high level competition. Um, would you describe it as true hatred or did or were you able to separate that a little bit? Yeah, I would say, you know what, I'm going to call it more so a positive rivalry. I think that, um, you know, I think there was a phase where it was extremely, extremely competitive. But um, um, but I think that we were able to channel it into something that's good. Like you hope that the U.S. is going to play really well because that meant that we needed to play even better. So I I, I think hate's a pretty strong term. Was it a fierce 
rivalry? Was it super competitive, super intense? Absolutely. But I think what we've seen and how we've seen it evolve over the years is to to have it be that competitive on the ice, but there's a huge level of respect off the ice. And if you look at these athletes and that they play, many of them play on on, on the same teams, whether it's at you know university level or host university playing or the PWHPA. So I think that it, it's good. It's been great for the sport, this rivalry, because it's encouraged you know the teams and each individual on those teams to want to be better and, and totally push their limits to make the game better. So I think every time you play, you know it's a big deal. You want to be at your best. Um, and I think it's really helped us, you know, push the sport to new levels of success. Do you have a favorite personal moment from a game against the United States? I, I know there were a lot of big victories along the way. Is there does something still stand out well, when you look back? You know, I think a, a lot of great games, but if I had to pick one, I, it would probably be that final game in Vancouver in 2010, uh, which was my last Olympic Games. Um, so I just think that... Uh, that game was it. I think it was, uh, you know, getting the chance to be on a line with Marie-Philippe Coulet, who's the captain, obviously. And, uh, you know, I remember when we scored that first goal in Vancouver, um, and I remember being on the ice with Marie-Philippe Coulet. She scored the goal, and it ended up being the, game, the gold medal winning goal. And so I, I just think that entire game, uh, I still, when I see pictures or footage from the game, I still get, get goosebumps because, I think for us going into the Olympics in Canada, we knew it, was, it would be special, but I think everything about it exceeded our expectations. So uh, many, many great moments, and, and I always feel super grateful for having the chance to wear the Team Canada jersey. But if I had to pick you know, a specific moment, it would probably be that, that gold medal game in Vancouver in 2010. Yeah, really cool. Well, I'm sure that's a special moment for a lot of people listening tonight as well. Okay, so tomorrow, and, and I know they played in the round robin. Uh, Canada won that one. I believe Canada killed off six penalties in that game, which was uh, which was pretty huge. Mm -hmm. For those of us like mm -hmm. me, we're going to be on our couches or wherever watching the game. Um, what's a storyline for you going in or, or something where you say, hey, keep, keep an eye on this because that could be big in determining the outcome? Canada, uh, they're going into this with a lot of confidence. We have seen them play so strong offensively. And I, I think the big storyline with Team Canada going into the Olympics and, and what they've carried through is that this is a team that has taken the team first mentality. That they went into the Olympic Games with saying, whatever your experience, whatever your role is on this team, it's all about putting the team first and everyone that I've spoken to and following the team throughout this experience, I think that's been a collective buy-in, you know, and they had conversations with leadership group, with, with the entire team to say, you know what, if, even if you're a young player, this is your first Olympic Games, come in and have an impact. You don't, don't feel like you're a rookie or a first-year player, come in and be great. And I think we've seen this team come in and play really well. So look, you know, the depth, too, like that's a big thing for Canada is the depth that we've seen um, from all of the lines. Uh, and so uh, I think that's a big one. For the U.S., an interesting storyline is it looks like they may start Cavallini in goal. Um, some of us thought Matty Rooney might be getting the start um, come the, the playoff round and the medal round here. Uh, but they've gone with Cavallini, which, which leads us to believe she may start in the gold medal game. 
so that's a big factor to see if she can play well um, against Canada. The U.S. is still really fast and really skilled, uh, but I do think Canada's coming into this with just a huge level of confidence. Yeah, right on. Well, hopefully another gold for Canada, Jennifer. Hey, thanks so much for hopping on the show. Uh, always love getting your perspective. Well, we'll have to do this again soon because love talking hockey with you. Uh, enjoy the Oilers game or whatever you wind up watching tonight. And, of course, enjoy watching the gold medal game tomorrow. Okay, will do. Thanks, Reed. Great to chat with you. Thank you. That is Jennifer Bonnerill checking in tonight on Inside Sports, an abbreviated one-hour edition. I'm going to stick with you, of course. We'll transition into the face-off show after the 7 o'clock news. Stoffer's going to hop on with these, so we'll have some fun there. Thanks for tuning in, and Oilers and Kings will face off at 8.30. Got it all on 6.30, Chet. Here's to the inspiration, the dreams, the passion, and dedication. To all our Canadian athletes, you've made us proud, and we're with you all the way. Sentinel Storage, proud partner. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.